to all of you. It's so awesome that you joined us here this morning. We want to start off in a big way. We want to lift up the name of Jesus because it is in his name that we trust and his name alone. So if you could put your hands together.
want to keep it going this morning. In Jude 1, it says, To him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through glory, majesty, power, and authority, through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, and now and forevermore.
prayer that our hearts will sing no other name but yours because it's your name alone that saves and we trust in you alone you are this great God you are the only king and you are the only one who is truly in control that you are sovereign over all the earth and we thank you so much that we can run into your arms because you love us you showed that love on the cross for us we just thank you so much for all that you've done, for all that you are. And we pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds, everything to see all that you are and all that you have for us. We pray this in your name. Amen. You could please have a seat. Oh 
If you could please stand. We want to sing this song, Even So Come. We're not just looking for Jesus to come back. We're looking to make room for him as the rightful king of our lives. Thank you. 
come and take your rightful place as king of our marriages of all our relationships that we know and we can see that you are God alone and that you know exactly what you're doing and that the best thing we can do is to follow you to look to you for all that we need for wisdom for grace for love because you are the source of all these things and God we so need you we so need you in our lives we pray that we would trust you and love you with all our hearts. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Thanks so much for coming out today. Enjoy this beautiful Sunday, and we hope to see you at the baptism service this afternoon.
his name high this morning in Jude 1 it says to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Savior be glory majesty power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord for all ages now and forevermore
that our hearts would sing no other name but yours, that we would look to you alone because you are the one true God, you are the one true king, the one real savior of the world. And we just thank you for all that you've done, for all that you are. And I pray that we would run to you. Even though that you are this awesome God, you love us. You gave yourself to save everyone here that you are the one savior of the world. I pray that we would trust you and we would run to you. Thank you so much for all that you are and all that you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you could please have a seat. We want to do a song for you this morning that honestly I never thought we would be able to do. There's a song called Castle and talks about kings and queens and thrones and all that stuff. And I'm like, when are we ever going to do this song until today? As you can see, there's a throne above the drum cage there. And uh, we're starting our series called The Game of Thrones, our marriage series. And so if you could listen to this song. And it's really about someone who is just wanting to have control, even if it means going to war. Break these walls down, you're gonna get bruised. 
I think what you just heard there um, is a song that's right before the conflict's about to happen, right? She's headed to the castle. She thinks she's queen. She's not appreciating this old guy who's telling her to shut up, and it's about to go down. And uh, it just happens to um, include the word castle, which was even better for us because we're kind of uh, blending in with a TV series that's really popular right now called Game of Thrones. In fact more and more people are starting to watch it, which is kind of odd. It's, it, it, the older it gets, more normally people stop, but the older this is getting, more and more people are watching. But don't be confused here. This is not an endorsement of that show. Far from it. We're trying to use that show because right now what's happening is a lot of the phrases and terms that are being used in that show are starting to show up in our culture in everyday language. People are using it like you know what they're talking about. And what we'd like to do is to take some of those phrases and we're gonna, we're gonna use them so that when you hear them in the culture, I hope you'll think about what we're talking about here instead of a TV show, because we're gonna to try to talk about marriage for the next five weeks, and I think it's gonna be really important. Uh, the premise of the TV show was quite simple. 
there's an iron throne, and the person who sits on that throne possesses all power. And if you're not on that throne, you are conniving and scheming with some way to get on that throne so that you can possess all the power. Now, I'm hoping that that does not describe your marriage right now, right? And, and many of you go, no, no, of course not. I don't have armies and swords. Oh, really? Hmm. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. The way we act and the words we use and the relationships we have reveal a lot about what's going on in our hearts. And relationships that we have, we find um, places to use our words like swords at times. And the truth is, In our relationships, including marriage, there are power struggles that go on. There's a struggle for me to get my way, and now I'm partnered up with somebody who wants to get their way too, and they sometimes conflict. And unfortunately, it does double damage in a marital relationship. Because in any relationship, and we use our words to cut, we use our words in anger, we use, oh, this is a happy one, passive aggressiveness at times, like, what just happened to me? Was that mean or was that, and you're left confused by that. We use that with coworkers, we use that with family, we use that with kids, we use that with our friends. When we do that stuff with our spouse, it cuts just like it cuts everybody else. But there's a, a second thing that happens. See, you thought you had signed up for a relationship where you would be supported and loved. And when that starts to go away, you start to wonder if that relationship is worthwhile. You start to wonder if there's any value in it at all. And it's because of this power struggle that's going on. So this morning, we're going to start with a throne. And we're going to ask a simple question, who sits on your throne Who's the one who can maybe, maybe say it this way in your family? Who wears the pants, right? And it's said kind of jokingly and everybody snickers. Who's in control? We actually went to a couple in our church and we said, who's in control and how do you handle control issues? And we filmed them and we want to show you this. They, um, Kyle came and said, hey, can you leave that first part out? And we said, no. Um, so check this out. I'm Kyle Woolsey, and we've been married for almost four years now. Uh, I'm no. Jillian Woolsey, and oh he's wrong. Gosh. We've oh. been married for four, four, four years we're, and two months. We've been married four years, <laughs> two months. We, we've done a good job of balancing. Like, I pay all the bills. I'm in control of all of that side, like the house, the bills, things like that. But then Kyle manages is in, in, and is in control of our budget. So, like, money is not just my control or his control. We've separated it so that I'm in control of some of it and he's in control of some of it. And so that's worked out well for almost every subject, I think, in our marriages. We split our control in half. Yeah, it it boils down to um, give and take. Like you just learn what's important to the other person. And even if you don't like that they want to control certain things, you just decide what's worth giving up for 
your spouse and what's not worth giving up control on is what I, that's how it all boils down to me. Actually, my mother-in-law gave me good advice when, when we were in high school and we had a really bad argument about this, is that she said, you want to control him because he controls your happiness. So I wanted to control what Kyle was doing because if he messed up or made a mistake with his friends, then I wasn't happy. So if I could control what he was doing with his friends when I wasn't around, then I could in turn control my happiness, if that makes sense. So that has that was an argument for a lot of years, but we're at a point right now in our marriage where we're at a really good place of it. Because you have to decide what you want to give up control on and what you don't. And uh, and I've had to learn to give too. I mean, I've given. It's well said, exactly, because yeah. both, both sides, it's give and take, yeah. if you want a happy marriage. I guess um, the biggest thing is just perspective on life in general. Um, through our marriage, we've been through like times have been easy, and um, as most people know, our story um, about a year ago when we when we lost our daughter Ren, our whole perspective on life changed, and our whole, I mean, our marriage, who we are as people, but who we are together as a couple, completely changed. And when you go through um, such a big life event and realize um, kind of what really matters in the world and what doesn't matter, um, it really helps you to see along with this control thing is that I mean I don't I don't need to have control of everything when 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 you really look at the big scheme of things um, and in our marriage specifically I don't I don't have to be in control of everything because God's in God's in control I mean and through that we we learned a lot about each other and strengthened our marriage and, and strengthened our relationship with Christ individually but most importantly, through our marriage, and, and again, the biggest thing it taught us was we're not in control of our lives. He's in control. Yeah, and uh, having, having expectations, like communicating your expectations on what's important to the other person, I mean, that's a lot of times if, if it seems like she's wanting to control, it's, it's not because she just wants to control mm -hmm. what I do or what we do. It's because she loves me and she knows what's best. Mm -hmm. And um, at the end of the day, it's in my opinion, uh, you deal with the control by just loving the other person and trusting the other person more than yourself. Wow, a lot of good stuff in there. We're gonna come back and uh, reference some of that if I can remember to get it in my brain um, properly. Uh, but, but here's the thing. Uh, they have referenced some really cool pictures, and, and I've become convinced that one of the reasons marriages struggle is because we don't have a very clear picture in our minds of what God expects out of marriage in the first place. And so we kind of find our way through that. You kind of learn a bunch of stuff, figure out some stuff, um, and I'm hoping that maybe we can set a good picture. I think what happens instead is that we gather all kinds of stuff from our culture, from our life experience, from what we saw as kids, and that becomes the picture that we pursue for marriage, and it causes messes. Uh, one, one of the big ones um, is this little gem from an old movie that most of you will recognize right away. I want you to check this out. We live in a cynical world. A cynical world. And we work in a business of tough competitors.
You complete me. And I just had... Shut up. Just shut up. You had me at hello. I hate that clip. Now you might go, oh, you just don't like those kind of movies. Okay, you got me there. That's not the reason. You're just not very romantic. Okay, um, maybe a little, but not a lot. I get that. But that's not the reason. The reason is those words that he just used that has become a standard that people pursue in their relationships. You complete me. I have bad news for you. You pursue any human being to complete you and you will be disappointed over and over and over again. And yet, this kind of stuff is what has shaped our view of what marriage is all about. Can you at least understand that if you pursue an unhealthy goal, you will probably be unhealthy? And this idea that somebody else has the, the ability to fulfill your needs is crippling us, and that's just one of them. So we've got, to, we've got to start with what God had in mind in the first place. And in order to do that, we've got to go all the way back, and, and before we can even get to marriage, we've got to find a foundational piece that I think you have to view things through. So if you have a Bible app, you can turn to Genesis chapter one. Uh, if you have your Bibles, Genesis one, it's right at the front, it should be pretty easy for you to find. And we're going to look at, um, God had some great stuff in mind. Some, some things that he said, look, marriage is this really good thing. And then things went wrong. And we want to figure out what went wrong. But to start, we have to get the right foundation to build this thing on. That foundation is found in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. And it says this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Who's them? Both male and female, he created them. The two, male and female, are created with some likeness given by God because we were made in God's image. We both have, we're equal in our personhood. We're equal in the dignity that we deserve. We're equal in the destiny that we're gonna have. We have this sense of equality with each other that, that comes from being both made in the image of God. It doesn't say that we're in unison. Men and women are different. It doesn't say there won't be different roles. But it does say that we're equal in so many ways. Before God Almighty himself, we have some equalness. Can I tell you, a lot of what gets written after this, the roles that people have and all that sort of stuff, I have heard interpreted at churches all of my life. And, um, and that kind of stuff about uh, the male being the leader and all of that, it's all right, but it has to be interpreted through this first chapter and unfortunately, the first chapter often gets discarded. I know this because when I got married, I did not have a view in mind that I was marrying somebody who was my equal. And I made my life's 
uh, my wife's life miserable for the first five years. I'm the man. I'm the leader. You're going to meet my needs and do what I say and get what I want done. And it was, it was awful for her. By the way, it was awful for me too, just in a different way, because that was not what God had in mind for the relationship. And so there was a lack of trust between the two of us. There was a lack of respect between the two of us. And we ended up with messes constantly, just simply because I missed that what God had in mind was that I would be an equal and I would find another equal and that we would work out different roles. There's different roles. There's no way that you can get past that. We're not the same. Men and women are different. We do different things. We were talking about this in a staff meeting um, a couple months ago, and I'll never remember, <laughs> I'll never forget this quote. I'm going to put it up on the screen. I thank God, I thank God every day I'm a man. I couldn't be a woman, right? The great theologian, Mike Griggs. Yes! <laughs> right? Now, the dude does take a lot of baths, but I'm going to let him pass on that, okay? Because I think he might understand it just a little bit. Um, but if we were trying to figure out What's going on? We would start by understanding God created us as equals. And then in chapter 2, verse 23, God reveals a little bit more. He reveals that Eve is taken from a rib of man and created. And what he's trying to get across is there's an interdependency between the two of us. Between the two sexes, there's an inter interdependency that exists. And based on that interdependency, this is what gets written in verse 24 of chapter 2. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united his wife, and they become one flesh. Now, you might stop and think, okay, listen. Are you telling me, because I'm interdependent, that the only way for me to have a fulfilled life is for me to be married? No. Listen carefully. Your fulfillment is found in being made in the likeness of God. And when you're detached from God, from that being who understands you more than you understand you, when you're detached from that, you lose your sense of fulfillment. That is found and can only be found in God. But the consequences, what God has in mind is I'm going to create two equals. You're going to find fulfillment in me over here, but then I'm going to make you interdependent. And what's going to come out of that interdependency as I join the two of you are two things, unity and oneness. You're going to be united in purpose you're going to be united in goals. You're going to be united in support of each other so that when stuff comes against you, it's not just you anymore, it's we. And you stand more boldly because you have another with you. So you have this sense of unity. Now here's the thing. God created equals. He made us interdependent. Then he gives us a chance to join together. So far, the picture sounds fantastic. This sounds great. Who wouldn't sign up for that? But something happens. What went wrong? 
Sin happened. Mankind decided, I'm going to go my way. And as soon as we did that, as soon as we said, God, it's not your way, it's my way, God gets pushed out of the picture. And these two people who are equals end up damaged. And now they're damaged and they're joining together and all kinds of messes come out of that, all kinds of consequences. It's fascinating. The scriptures actually reveal a consequence of this. There's always consequence to sin, always. And in chapter three, verse 16, one of them comes up. It says this, to the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe with painful, labor, with painful labor, you will give birth to children. And at first I read this and I thought, I'm not sure this is true because the delivery wasn't that bad for me. I mean, I, I felt like I lost the baby weight really fast and it was a no big deal, right? No issue. And then I remembered, oh, it's woman, right? Oh, yeah, maybe that was right. Except here's the problem. That little section that I just read to you gets almost all the attention in this verse. And it's not the big deal. The big deal is what happens next. It says, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. This is a consequence. The scripture actually defined it as a curse. Now, I, I grew up in church, a little beaner on up, and I've heard, I've heard this section of scripture talked on I don't know how many times. I read countless um, commentaries on this section of scripture. And the majority of people have the same view about what this scripture says. And, and their conclusion is that what this is about is the game of thrones in marriage. The man is put as the leader of the home. The wife doesn't like that desires the power, and so goes to grab it. And that's where all the conflict comes from. I think the majority's wrong. I don't think that's what it says at all. And in fact, in Genesis chapter four, the same phrasing is used in another verse, and it doesn't mean that there either. So if you'll, if you'll let me, I'd like to give you what I think is a is a more proper translation of this, using other sections of scripture to help me figure out what this has to say. And I think it's far more what I see happening in reality between people. Not everybody, but I would say a majority. How's this for a picture? Sin happens. God gets pushed out of the way. The one place where you could have your sense of fulfillment is gone. And so, the woman, desiring now to have that fulfillment, decides to get that from her spouse. I'm gonna get that from the man. I'm gonna extract my security, I'm gonna extract my fulfillment, I'm gonna get completed by attaching myself to you. And the guy figures out what's going on and he decides to use that to rule over her, to take advantage of her. Now, if you look around the world, you'll see guys, because of their strength, often just kind of rule over women. But you see this in other ways too. Oddly enough, Jillian referred to this in her little clip there. 
Her mother-in-law gave her really wise advice. You're trying to control him because he's the center of your happiness right now. And you think if you can get him to do what you want, you'll really be happy. And so I'm trying to extract my happiness out of this other person. And because I know you're trying to do that, I take advantage of you. And it shows up in control. It shows up in really demeaning stuff that some um, ladies are willing to do just so they can say, this person loves me, this person cares about me, I'm valued by somebody. And they harm themselves all over the place. Why? Because they're seeking fulfillment in the wrong place because sin jettisoned God. And so they start to extract it from each other and then the guy starts to extract it from her. He's gonna control her. And all of a sudden, you have all kinds of pain, all kinds of struggle for power because I want what I need, you want what you need, and we fight it out. And so much of the conflict happens because we're trying to extract things from each other. God had a different idea. In uh, Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is talking about marriage. He's actually using it as an illustration for something else, but he brings it up. And in this little section of Scripture, uh, what happens is Paul brings up three keys. Three keys that instead of the power struggle that, we're, that we often have with each other, trying to extract things from each other that we need and want, these three keys are set up for two equals who are interdependent and joined together to actually value and do. And when you do, you accomplish this picture that God had in mind in the first place. Three. The first one is mutual submission. In uh, chapter 5, verse 1, or verse 21, it says this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Right after this, it goes on to tell the woman to submit. And that's the part that most people focus on because she has a role. She has a different role. And it's harder for her because of the role that God has said, listen, I want the guy to lead. And I want you to find a way to allow that to happen. And so you're gonna ha- it's going to be hard for you to submit. But, you, but most of us miss that it starts with this idea that there'll be mutual submission that we'll both bend our knee toward the other. Why would you do that? Because you're equals, right? But instead, what often happens um, is a different kind of submission. I found this uh, poem written by a guy named Shell. I don't know his last name. Look, if that guy is not a poet, I don't know what is, right? The, du- the dude's chilling out, and he, he penned a poem that I want to read for you that strikes me as our culture's version of submission. If you want to marry me, here's what you'll have to do. You must learn how to make a perfect chicken dumpling stew. You must sew my holy socks and soothe my troubled mind and develop the knack for scratching my back and keep my shoes spotlessly shined 
And while I rest, you must rake up the leaves. And while it is hailing and snowing, you must shovel the walk. And be still when I talk. And hey, where are you going? <laughs> right? That's, that's how it works. I'm, I'm going to get as much out of you as I can until you break and you're gone. Not God's idea. His was mutual submission. The second one, found in Ephesians 5, verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives. And he's about to set the bar. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I would say this is sacrificial love. Doesn't sound fun. It's not supposed to. It goes against our nature. Instead of trying to extract what we want, we're trying to find ways to love that other person in a way that sacrifices ourselves in the process. By the way, Titus 2 verse 4 makes it clear this is not a one gender idea. That this is for both to love each other. Number three, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 33 ends this way. And the wife must respect her husband. Respect his personhood. Respect his role. Respect his brokenness. Respect his dreams. His gifts. There ought to be a sense of knowing who this person is. And because I know them, I've decided to give them respect. And yes, just like love, 1 Peter 3, 7 makes it very clear that this is not a one gender thing. We're supposed to be doing this for each other. What I just read to you, these three, mutual submission, love. And why am I going blank? Oh, in respect. I would submit to you that this is how equals treat each other. Even with different roles. That when you view the other person as being made in God's image, that it would make sense that you would come to them and you would submit. That you would sacrifice for them. That you would deeply respect them. You know, I have a... I have an odd kind of job. I get to sit up here, stand up here, whatever it is, on a weekly basis and talk to you about um, ideals and ideas that I really believe in, that I deeply believe in and at the same time have a hard time embodying myself. You're like, Blair, that sounds pretty close to you saying you're a hypocrite. That's exactly what I'm saying. Sorry, that's the case but it's just true. Because these values in my own marriage go against the grain for me. I love my wife, but to submit to her at times, to sacrificially love for her, to respect her at times, I don't do it well. And yet, this is the call that God has for a great marriage. And, in, and even as things have gotten better, we had a bad five years. And then we started working and working and working and working and it's, and it's getting better and better. But it hasn't removed 
the selfish lining that I have, that when the moment comes, the answer I want to give is I'm on the throne. I want my way. If I were to ask you this morning, who's on the throne? Who's on the throne of your relationship? Would you say, me? I wear the pants. What I say goes. I would say, bummer. If the answer is, they are my spouses. They're on the throne. It's very clear. I don't have any power. Not treated like an equal. Bummer. It's a bummer. Because you will never experience what God had in mind. There is only one person who has the ability to sit on the throne of your life and your marriage and to make it work, and that is God Almighty himself. Where you find your fulfillment in him, and because you are fulfilled in God, you are released to be mutually submissive, to sacrificially love, and to respect that other person. Who's on your throne? What happens, at least in, in my life, is in an attempt to be on the throne myself, I make other choices other than those three. And next week, that's what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about the most common choices that we make in our relationships that end up doing damage to this thing that God wanted to create in the first place, where he made equals that were interdependent and then joined them together. And then we make choices that pull all of that apart. So I hope you'll come back. And I, I hope you'll understand. We're just start, we just created a picture. There's a picture of what God wants. And all along the way, we're, we're going to hope to look at some different things that will turn this into his and her instead of his versus her. Why don't you pray with me real quick? God, you have a beautiful picture in mind. And yet it turns out right now in our culture, uh, the rate of younger people getting married is older and older, and they've cited one reason. They're not really sure they can trust anybody else. God, this, um, this is happening because we've been pursuing tragically wrong pictures of what marriage is. We've been pursuing this without you at the center of this stuff. And so I ask that as we go here today, there'll be serious consideration about who's on the throne. What's going on with the control in my life? Am I finding my fulfillment in God? Has that freed me to pursue these keys that you have in mind for marriage. I ask that you would give us wisdom as we process. In Jesus' name, amen. If you could please stand. If you could please stand and sing this last song with us. We want to end with the song, Even So Come, because we're looking for Jesus to come not only someday when he comes and takes this world 
as rightfully his, but to come into our lives, to come into our marriages, and take his rightful place as king.
we ask you to come into our lives, to take your place as king, king of our marriages, king of all of our relationships, that we would make a way for you, that we would stand aside and let you come forward and show your power and your grace and your love through our lives, through how we treat each other, so that the whole world would see that you are God, that you are Savior alone. Help us to look to you in all that we do. And we just pray this all in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for coming out today. We hope to see you at the baptism service.